Don't sit down. Let's take a moment in the quietness of our own heart, bow our heads. What a beautiful song, what a beautiful challenge, what a beautiful message. Let's offer our hearts and our lives afresh and anew to the Lord today. Thank you, Lord God. We offer up our lives to you. In Jesus' name. Before you're seated, shake hands with someone. Greet them today. Hey, brother. Hey, good to see you. Bell's still holding up. Good, good. good. <laughs> Give God thanks. <laughs> well, welcome. Welcome to Faith Fellowship on this Labor Day weekend. It's good to see you. God's blessed us with a great day today, weather-wise. We give Him thanks for that. And as you're aware, there are thousands of people who've been devastated by Hurricane Harvey. We want to offer a prayer right now. Lord God, we have seen the pictures. We have heard some of the stories. And our hearts are saddened this morning for our fellow Americans. Lord, we thank you that the devastation of loss of life could have been so much worse. But Lord, to lose one life for that family is a tremendous tragedy. So Lord, we just ask that in this process of cleaning up and putting people's lives back together, that you would watch over the first responders. Thank you for their heroic duty and sacrifice. Watch over all the volunteers, not only locally, but that are coming from all over the United States to help. Protect them, Lord. We pray for the local church there in those areas. That they would be used of God to bring the good news of Jesus to hurting people. And Lord, we do pray that those who've been affected in a most dramatic way would give thanks to God for the sparing their lives. And in some supernatural way that only you can do, Lord, you would open their hearts to the good news of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you're still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you're still the sovereign God over all of Texas and Louisiana and all of these United States. So we give you thanks today that we serve a God who's bigger than any hurricane, any natural disaster, any problem in our life. We serve the great Jehovah. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we receive our offering this morning, if you would like to help and, and give toward hurricane relief, please write on your check memo if you still use a check or write Hurricane Harvey. If you want an envelope to put cash, the ushers will have them and you can write. But make sure you put Hurricane Harvey somewhere on that because our gifts will be sent through Samaritan's Purse. It's a Christian organization run by Franklin Graham that offers relief to disaster victims all over the world. So the ushers are coming now to receive the offering. And again, if you need an envelope, just raise your hand. They'll get an envelope to you. Thank you for giving to God through uh, Faith Fellowship and the ministries that we support. If you're with us for the first time today, we're glad you're here. Amen? We are. We love you. And uh, let us know you're here this morning by filling out a connection card. Looks like this. And leaving it at the info center after the service. The ushers have them. But if you didn't receive one, cards are available in our literature racks in the commons area. A new six-session study entitled, How to Get Through What You're Going Through. That's the title of the study. And it's going to kick off with a preview lesson next Sunday, September 10th, immediately following the worship service. You know, in our lives, we all experience loss. There are hundreds of thousands of people that could say that about what's happened to them in Texas. It may be the loss of a job, it may be the loss of our health, a relationship, all forms of loss. 
And this class is going to help us understand how God can give us peace in the midst of our loss and how he can use our circumstances for his purposes. And I hope you plan to preview the lesson next Sunday morning. And then the class is going to meet for five consecutive Mondays starting on September 11th at 7 p.m. here at the church. So sign up at the Information Center, get more questions answered out there. A men's breakfast will be held from 8 a.m. to 9.15 this coming Saturday, September the 9th. Missionary Mark Oberhauser will be our guest speaker. All men are invited to attend, and this is the last day that you can get tickets at the Information Center, so please plan to be there. God bless you. to uh, make a confession, and I've known this for a long time. I don't think there's any need to pretend. I, I say, it ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no fortunate one. But I really need to come clean because I am a fortunate one. I am a wealthy son. I seriously have a lot of stuff. And I know that's going to make some of you think, well, how much do you have, Damon? <laughs> well, got a closet full of clothes, have a couple cars, have a house. I'm fortunate, and I'm rich. And I dare say that you're wealthy, too. You know, against the backdrop of this world, if you have food on your table, if you have clothes on your back, if you have a roof over your head, I mean, if you have that stuff, you're a fortunate one. You're, you're wealthy. You're blessed. 
And I think it's very, very important that we understand that, that we grasp that. You know, we're in this series, Level Up, and we've been looking at the book of James. And the book of James just has a lot of practical advice on how to mature in our lives spiritually, how to live, as we've been talking about, on a whole nother level in our life. And the book of James was actually a letter. It was uh, sent to Christians throughout the Mediterranean world. And they, James was writing to people that had a very skewed view of wealth and riches. And they thought their stuff was their stuff. They, they didn't realize that their stuff was God's stuff, that, that they were managers, they were stewards of it. And I, I've shared this before, but so many times, the first word we, we learn just about is the word mine, isn't it? My, my grandkids, my kids, <laughs> they at a very young age learn to say mine. And we struggle with this word our entire lives. I mean, as we get older, I, I think we get more sophisticated. And the fact is, it's still a problem in our lives. No, it's mine. I earned it. It's not God's. I own it. It's mine. And one of the ways that we grow, one of the ways we mature, I believe, is when there comes that point and we realize our stuff's not really our stuff, that it's God's stuff and we're just stewards of it. And when we level up, we acknowledge we are the fortunate ones. I'm wealthy, you're wealthy. Oh, it ain't me, it ain't me. I I ain't a fortunate one. Well, James, more than 2,000 years ago, said, oh yes you are, oh yes you are. You know, the Bible talks a lot about money, talks a lot about wealth. I'll give you some real quick, uh, I'm going to call them uh, uh, fun facts. And by fun facts, I mean F-U-N-D facts. But do you know one out of ten verses in the Bible talks about wealth and money? Jesus told 38 parables that are recorded in the Gospels. 16 of them are about money and wealth. You know, there are over 500 verses in the Bible that talk about prayer. There are over 500 verses in the Bible that talk about faith. But there are more than 2,000 verses that talk about money and wealth. And I have learned something from the very first time I uh, stepped into ministry. There are three topics that you can talk about, and you get the deer in the headlight look from everybody, you know. Death. Sex and money. And it, for some reason, it just kind of, and take a breath, okay? Relax. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, don't worry, he's not talking about all three today. <laughs> uh, the Bible talks a lot about money. Because God knew that we all, all of us, would struggle with it. God knew that if we weren't careful, it would drag us down and tear us up. Have you ever noticed uh, warning labels on stuff? Sometimes I read a warning label, I'm like, wow, wow. They, they really kind of take things to another level there. But uh, they, I want to kind of test your uh, knowledge a little bit. What I want to do, I'm going to read a warning label you tell me what it's on. So we'll, we'll start out sort of easy. Warning, may cause drowsiness. Use care when operating a car or dangerous machinery. Yeah, medication. Actually, what's really funny, that is on dog medication also. <laughs> hey, Fido, quit, quit. Don't drive the car. Bring that truck back here. You know, I was like, uh, okay. Yeah. Warning. This device does not enable the wearer to fly. What is it? Superman, Superman costume, so. (laughs) Warning, I love this. Pastry filling may be hot when heated. (laughs) 
All right, nutritional snack, high in fiber and protein. Health food people love it. Pop-Tarts. <laughs> Warning, do not operate vehicle with screen in place. What is it? Sunscreens, yeah. I, I, I'm thinking, who does this stuff? Hey, honey, I thought we'd go to St. Louis today, put the screen in the window, see, it'd be fun, it'll be fun. I mean, who does this stuff? It's crazy. You know, warning, one more here. Warning, use only under competent supervision. <laughs> Airplane, that, that would be a good one. That would be a good one. A mattress. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know what's going to happen after church. People are going to rush home and go, I'm going to see if it's got that on there. But there are warning labels on a lot of stuff. Sometimes I scratch my head and I'm like, okay, they had to write that to protect themselves. James is going to place some huge warning labels on some things. He's going to place these warning labels on a thing called wealth. The chapter 5 uh, be a good read for you this weekend. But he starts out, he says, Warning, anticipate misery. And I think, what? It doesn't sound right. Anticipate misery with wealth? But James is writing to people that had a lot of stuff. James is writing to them, and they've got a roof over their head, and they've got clothes on their back. They've got a chariot in the garage. And James says this. He says, now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. What? I mean, that seems kind of out of sync. It doesn't seem like it's right. But, and then I read it and I think, well, James, why don't, why don't you be a little more direct about it? I mean, it just doesn't sound right. The, the rich shouldn't be weeping and wailing. In fact, we think just the opposite, don't we? Everything's great if I've got money, if I have stuff, if I can spend my money on things that make me feel good and look good. And James says, warning, warning, anticipate misery. And what he says, if our wealth becomes our idol, watch out, because Scripture says God gets angry about that because what happens when it becomes our idol is it changes our heart and we end up misusing what God's given us. James goes on, uh, he's talking about uh, what, what wealth is like and uh, he says, your, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten, eaten your clothes. I think about years ago, I had a, I had a t-shirt. It was a Pittsburgh Pirate t-shirt, actually. And uh, yeah, thank you. I knew that was coming. Anyway, I, uh, I loved the t-shirt. And one day, I, I put it on, and it had all these holes in it. You know, I'm looking in the mirror. I'm thinking, my first thought, we had a cat at the time. I thought, the cats tore my shirt up. I can't believe this. But then I got looking, and they were moth holes. They, they had, uh, had a feeding frenzy with my T-shirt. Moths. It rots. It eats our stuff alive. James goes on uh, in the third chapter, or third verse. He says, your gold and silver are corroded. This corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. That's disgusting. But I have observed through the years that numerous times when we get a very warped view of wealth, what, what happens is we start having difficulties in life because we, we get this skewed view. We, we start uh, having these difficulties and kind of trying to battle through the, the stuff because we look at our, our wealth and we think it's something that it's not. In fact, I believe many times God allows those props to kind of get knocked out 
You know, when, when we think, well, it's my stuff, you know, I'll do what I want with my stuff. And I would just say, watch out, because God has a way of driving us to our knees and helping us get perspective in life. You know, James says, watch out. Don't, don't count on your riches, because they rot, they, they rust, they, they will consume and devour you. He goes on, he tells us that we got to stop hoarding this, this stuff. Now, hear me very carefully. The Bible's not against investments, not against savings. In fact, the Bible says save, invest. The Bible says that we should enjoy stuff. There's nothing wrong with having stuff, having nice stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, some of the wealthiest people in, in Scripture, you, you find, are, are lifted up as some of the greats, and they were extremely wealthy. But hoarding... That's something different. He says, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. In the Greek, the, the word hoard comes from the word hide. When we hoard, we hide. We, we hide from others. We hide from God. Answer this question for me. Who wants to be a multimillionaire? Answer that for yourself. Anybody want to be a multimillionaire? Most of us said yes to that, didn't we? And that's okay. But the question is, why did you say yes? Be honest. Be honest with yourself. I mean, for some, we, we say yes because then we could get things, we could do things that, again, make us look good, feel good in life because we like stuff. Some would say, well, I said yes, so I could help other people. That's what I would do. And, and here's the thing I find very, very interesting. Through the years, and I'm an observer, but I've had many Christians, they'll go, you know, when, when my ship comes in, when I hit a windfall, when I get to this point in, in my life, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be generous with my family. I'm going to be generous with my friends. I'm going to be generous with my community and the church. And, and they'll go on and on. In all my years, I have seen people's ships come in. And usually, usually, the pattern stays the same. Many people continue on what I call that spin cycle of selfishness. In other words, do not deceive yourself when it comes to wealth. If you're selfish with a little, you'll be selfish with a lot in your life. In other words, it's not about the amount. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. James says, warning, warning, do not use people. Do you know we live in a culture that loves money and uses people? Have you figured that out? Love money, and we're willing to use people. James says this, he says, look, the wages you fail to pay, the workers who mowed your field are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. James says, Something's not sinking up here. In fact, in biblical times, workers, workers were hired by the day. And they were paid daily. There were no legal contracts. There were no, uh, like, signing bonuses in that day. And so a worker would, would go to work. They'd work all day. And people were cheating them. They would tell them one thing. And then when they got done, they'd do something else. They, they, were, they were robbing people. In fact, families were going without food because what was more important? Money was more important than people. And James comes along and says, quit. Quit robbing people. God wants us to, to settle our accounts. He wants us to settle our transactions, whatever they are, to be fair and to be honest and to be up front. If you agree to do something financially or agree to, you know, you're in a sale of something and you agree to it, then stand by your word. Be a person of character in that. Do not use people to build up your account. But our culture... 
very materialistic. And if you're materialistic, then you're sinning against others and you're sinning against God. And James says, yeah, warning, be careful here. Now, what, what's materialism? You know, people think materialism happens when someone has a, a lot of money and a lot of stuff. And I will tell you that's not necessarily true. It may be true, but it's not necessarily true. You can be materialistic, and I always love it because someone will go, well, I'm not materialistic, I'm middle income, you know, I'm, I'm poor. No, you can be materialistic and be middle income. You can be materialistic and be poor. Materialism is about having the wrong attitude about the things that you possess. In fact, materialism, I will tell you, means that your possessions possess you. It means that you love things more than you love people and more than you love God. That's materialism. And I will tell you, love God, love people, and then use things, use things. James goes further, he says, uh, warning, warning, avoid a false sense of security when it comes to money. Let me ask you, does wealth give you a false sense of security? I mean, James, James says it does. He says, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You know, God, God, again, he wants us to enjoy the things that he's blessed us with. It's not a sin to have nice things. It's not a sin to enjoy the fruits of your labor. But there's a difference between enjoying things and self-indulgence. You know, self-indulgence it kind of lulls us into oblivion. You know, we quit guarding the gate, so to speak, because we got a false sense of security. Well, I'm safe. I can get by with this. I can do this. You know, I'm, it's okay. Cause, and we've got this, this security. Many times, if our finances are such, we start thinking we're bulletproof, don't we? If I can get enough wealth then I'll be autonomous, I'll be independent, I'll have no worries in my life. Some of you are thinking, if I could get to X, I'll have no worries. Ha, good luck with that. There are numerous examples of people that have had great wealth, and they still died from cancer. They still were killed in an accident. They still overdosed. You know, I think about people like Steve Jobs, you know, Prince, Heath Ledger, Michael Jackson, Paul Walker, you know, Princess Di. My, my point, money won't keep you safe in this life. It won't. James says, you have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. James is drawing a comparison here. He, in ancient days, you would uh, take and fatten a, a cow. If you were going to have like a party or a feast, you'd fatten them up. And so what you would do, you would give them, the cow, extra food. And so the cows enjoy an extra, wow, I'm getting more food. I'm feeling good. And they didn't realize they're getting ready to go on the menu, you know. James says, you're, you're fattening yourself up. The day of reckoning's coming. I mean, maybe in this life, definitely in the next. If you, if you study history, a decade after James wrote those words, Jerusalem fell. The Romans come in, they, they, they sacked it. And they took all their wealth from them. I believe James was not only writing to people then, but he's writing to our rich culture. We, we are born into the, the wealthiest time in human history. We're born into one of the richest nations in the world. And James says, be very careful. Jesus says it a little, little different. He gives us this warning. He says, if you're given much, much will be what? Required of you. If much is entrusted to you, much will be what? Expected of you. 
with wealth, much is required. With wealth, much is demanded. What we do with our wealth is defining. Again, if you study history at all, every nation at the pinnacle of power, they fell internally first. They became selfish. They became self-indulging in their lives. And so the, the focus became personal pleasure, which led to moral decline. And ultimately, the nations were fattened up, and they fell as a nation. The Egyptian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, all fell. They all fell. Why? Because their understanding of wealth was very, very warped and very self-focused. Warning, be careful, be careful. The people James wrote to, they had more than they needed. We have more than we need, don't we? And the question is, do we understand why we have more than we need? Now, I know we we think it's about ourselves, me, 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 that's culture. But the fact is, it's not about ourselves. I mean, why why am I a fortunate one? You know, why am I allowed to have more than I need? You know, and you can kind of play with that. I have before. Like... Well, I've got more than I need because God wants me to live a worry-free life. You know, maybe God doesn't want Damon Lee Talkington to be stressed out, and so God blesses me financially. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. Because the fact is, some of the most stressed out people I know got lots of money. Got lots of money. So, you know, you, you spend your time trying to insure it, protect it, figure it out, and manage it. So, so that's not it. That's not why God gives me more than I need. I mean, maybe I have more than I need because God wants me to live an affluent lifestyle. You know, maybe, maybe that's it. Yeah, that doesn't work because you know what? Even if I don't have any extra... I already live in affluent life. All of us do in, in this country. We are affluent. I mean, maybe I have more than I need so that I can leave a large inheritance to, to the kids. Well, I'll just say this. All my years of ministry, I have never had any, anybody come up to me and go, you know, Pastor, it all started when my parents didn't give me enough, you know. My life came unfurled at that that point. They just didn't give me enough. No, I've never heard that. All my years of ministry. But I have heard plenty of people say, you know what, my life's a mess because I had too much when I was a kid. And I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not saying that we should not invest. I'm not saying that we shouldn't prepare for the future. I'm not saying you shouldn't prepare for retirement and put stuff away. I'm not saying you shouldn't leave something to your kids. But what I am saying is that's not why. That's not why. They they can't be the consuming thought, you know. And I always tell tell people, you ought to consider something. Do you know 95% of the money that's received in an inheritance is gone in less than three years. And many, many of that 95%, it's gone in about six months. Ouch. And hear, hear this. In God's economy, however much we leave, it's not credited to us. You know, so I kind of go, well, it can't be about leaving an inheritance then. I mean, maybe, maybe I have more than I need so that I don't have to work. You know, that I could, uh, like, move to the beach or go to the mountains and just kind of unplug, check out on life. And I will tell you, that's not God's plan. That's not God's plan. God did not create you so you could unplug from life. And I know people that have unplugged. 
and most of them are pretty miserable unplugged. You, you find fulfillment when you begin to understand who God created you to be. You understand your God-given purpose. When you begin doing that, you start living on another level in your life. And I, I will say some of you that are retired, God has strategically put you in a position to use your gifts and your talents in ways that you previously couldn't. See, God, God's not given us more so that we could disengage from life. I mean, that's not it. So, so what is it? What is it? When my girls uh, were little, they, we would go on uh, vacation, and uh, we decided that we would give them like $20. I know, we were cheapskates, but we'd give them $20 for vacation, and uh, we wanted to teach them a little bit of responsibility and also keep sanity. And how many parents we got in the house here? Yeah, okay, all right. We kept sanity, because you know how you, you stop at the gas station, and you walk in, and can I have this, can I have this, can I have this? Oh, I want this. Can, dad, 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 get really, really, oh, this is, uh, you know. And so we just gave, gave them money, so first, first stop. One, one of our girls, who will remain nameless, um, but she goes, Dad, can I get some candy? And I said, yeah, you got money. And so she bought a big bag of Twizzlers. And I look in the back seat, and I mean, she's devouring these things. <laughs> you know, she's devouring them. And I know why, because she was afraid she might have to share them with her sister. And her sister said, can I have one? No. So I finally I said, can I have a few? No, they're mine. I bought them with my money. Now, I had a couple options at that point. One, I could have taken them. I mean, now, she wasn't seeing it this way, but in reality, I had bought them. I could have uh, taken her money from her, or I could have pulled over at the next exit. No, I'm not going there. I could have pulled over at the next exit, bought like $100 worth of Twizzlers, gave them to her sister, who always shared her stuff, and said, here are your Twizzlers, honey. I think I'll have a few Twizzlers. Friends, we come to God's house with our stuff, our Twizzlers, so to speak. And God says, hey, could I have a few? mine. These are my Twizzlers. And I think, you know, if God wanted, he could just take them. Think you're, they think, you think those are yours. God could, uh, like, buy a million dollars worth of Twizzlers. Start throwing them around. Here you go. Have some Twizzlers. He could fill heaven and earth with Twizzlers. That'd be a good commercial, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Why do we have more than we need? Well, I want to suggest to you it's so we can leverage eternity. God wants us to hold things loosely. God wants us to remember where it came from, what we have. God wants us to support ministry, to fully resource the, the local church. God wants us to invest in things that are eternal. You've heard, I, I sign, anybody that's ever got a note from me or a letter, I sign marking eternity on it. Because that's what I want to do with my life. I want to mark eternity. You want to check your level of maturity as a Christian. For many Wealth and riches are kind of the last area we surrender. It's the last area we let go of. It's difficult. You know, if you're a Christ follower, you know, people, they'll say, well, what should I do? Well, God says 10% of everything you make. 10%? Yeah, that's, it's worship. It's Remind me that it all comes from God. 
And I've said before, if faith fellowships your church, then it goes here. If you go somewhere else regularly, it goes there. It's not something I invented. It's, it's something God says, I'm going to help you break the back of, the, of our wrestle with wealth. You know, God being God, uh, people go, why 10%? I just can't believe it's 10%. And I said, well, he could have said 60, you know. Live on 40%. I mean, God being God could have done that. You know, Scripture says this. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian church to do on the first day of the week. See, he's talking about regular giving, first day of the week. Everyone should set aside, see, we've got a strategy going on here, some of money in keeping with your income. It's a proportional thing that, that we do. And, and so we bring our offering, we, we, we give it to God. Malachi says this, this, this is when it gets uncomfortable, isn't it? It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, I love this part. See, I love this part. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Earlier in the chapter, if you read, the, you, you, you ought to read the entire chapter, but God, God starts out and he goes, you're robbing me. And I can hear the people going, it ain't me, it ain't me. I ain't the fortunate one here, Lord. How are, we, how, are we, how are we robbing you? And he says, with your tithes and your offerings. He says, bring it to me, bring it to me. Test me. See, see if I won't bless you in this. And when we don't, friends, if you read that, you go, oh, I'm blocking God. I'm blocking God's blessing. And don't misunderstand me. They, I don't believe in prosperity ministry, but I do believe that God blesses and protects and watches over us. And I've shared this before. Again, remember, this is a good friend of mine. I was having lunch with him. We've been through a lot of deep waters together. And we're ha having lunch, and he's talking to me. And th this guy has a gift. I mean, he's gifted at making money. And so we're talking. He said, man, I, I'm struggling lately. And I said, oh, what's, what's going on? He goes, you know, back for several years ago, I was making like 100000 a year. And uh, giving, giving $10,000 a year, not a big deal. He goes, but I'm, I'm making 700000 now. I'm having trouble with 70000 And I kind of thought about it for a moment. Remember, this is somebody, good friend, good friend. I said, well, I can pray that God will bring your salary down to a point that you will be more comfortable. Now, he would tell you, he's still a good friend, by the way, <laughs> and he makes way more than that now. Uh, but uh, I I said that to him, and he goes, whew, perspective. Flip side, flip it over. Some people will say this. They'll say, well, when I make a lot more money, I'll take that step. If you're not faithful with a little, do not be deceived. You will not be faithful with a lot. And my challenge is to just say, step up, level up. Because God has a plan in your life. And I know for, for some of you, you go, oh, wow, we're, we're so overextended as a household. See, warning, warning, wealth will get you messed up. And you may be going, man, it seems impossible. And what I would say to you is you need a plan. You need a plan in your life. It is way easy to get overextended. And you know what happens. You become a slave to your debt. And I've said before, that's not God's design. And how do you spell relief? Well, B-U-D-G-E-T. Get a budget. Get a budget. Work on a plan. Plan your spending. Get your priorities straight. And then begin giving regularly, systematically. 
And I've challenged people through the years. Say, start somewhere. You know, 1%, 2%, 3%, pick a, pick a percent. And just go, you know what? I'm going to move toward that. I'm going to, it may take me five years, but I'm going to get there. But you need a plan. And I will say this. You need God involved in your finances more than God needs your money. Just, just test him. God is faithful. He can be trusted. You know, Cindy, Cindy and I have tithed since we were teenagers. When we got married, it was a no-brainer for both of us. It's like, we're, we're tithing as a family. Always have. And I will tell you, I have seen God's faithfulness over and over and over through the years. And it hasn't always been easy. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But God's always been faithful. We're to use our wealth to leverage eternity. There are two things in this world that are eternal. People and God's word. People and God's word. We're to invest in people. You know, Paul says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every way. Such generosity produces thanksgiving to God through us, through us. You know, I have said, Faith Fellowship is an awesome church. This church has always stepped up to the plate. We are called by God to to change and mark eternity, and this church is doing that. People are taking steps of faith. People are giving their lives to Jesus Christ. I mean, last weekend, wasn't last weekend good? All the baptisms, I'm sitting there going, yes, God, yes. Way to go, God. You know, marriages and families, we could go around that would say, I've been strengthened because of what God's doing through this church. People's lives that were broken that are being rebuilt. See, it's investing in eternity. It's a God thing. It's an incredible thing. And I believe the stakes are sky high. And this church will be a high-impact church that has a passion for Jesus Christ and wants to invest in people. You know, our, our mission, leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's why we exist. That's why we're here, to reach people, to lead them into a relationship and to help them grow in their faith. You know, Jesus said this. He says, I, I tell you, make friends for yourself by using the riches of the world that are so often used in wrong ways. So when Riches are a thing of the past. See, they're going to rot, decay, rust. Friends may receive you into a home that will be forever. Jesus seems to indicate that when we use our wealth to leverage eternity, when we invest in people and we lead them to Jesus Christ, when we help them grow in their faith as we grow in our faith, As we're doing that, we begin living on a whole nother level in our lives. And as we invest in that kingdom work, what we're doing, we're making friends in heaven for eternity. I mean, Scripture seems to indicate there that when we invest in the kingdom of God, we we are going to be greeted in heaven by a group of people that will say, you know, I'm here because you supported the, the, the ministry, uh, the, the zone. You, you supported that youth event. You know, somebody comes up and goes, I gave my life to Jesus Christ because of that. Someone's going to walk up and go, I, I'm, I'm here because you supported that mission. And that missionary came to our, our village, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And not only did I give my life, but every one of my families bowed a knee and made him their Lord and Savior. And they're going to greet you. And people you don't even know. See, I think that side, in eternity, we're going to have full knowledge and go, oh, I can connect the dots now. I see what's happened here. And my challenge to you is leverage your wealth. Leverage your wealth toward things that are eternal. Leverage your time. Leverage your giftedness. And make a difference in this world and in eternity. Why? Because someday there's going to be people welcoming you to heaven that you had no clue that you touched their life because of how you invested.
And, and so my question is, what, what kind of welcoming committee is there going to be? I mean, what's it going to look like, do you think? Who's going to be there going, I'm here because of you? See, everything we give away on this side of eternity, it's being deposited in heaven. It's the only thing that's eternal. We all have wealth. How are we going to use what God's entrusted to you? How are you going to use it? You're going to leverage it toward God's kingdom? See, level up, level up. You know, God, God's blessed. I, I think we really, really struggle on this front because we tend to want to go, I'm not fortunate. Oh, friends, we are so blessed. We are so blessed. And the only thing that's going to matter when the dust settles is what we do for God's kingdom. The rest of it, it's good. Not great. Because it's not going to last. Not going to last. Let, let, let's stand for a word of prayer together. Our holy God, God, we uh, praise you. God, we all, we have all been blessed. And God, I pray that uh, we'd realize everything we have, breath itself, it's a gift from you. And God, I pray that we would honor you with all we say, all we do, and with all we have. God, help us to stay focused on the things that are eternal. God, help us to mark eternity with our one and only life. We give you the glory and the praise and the honor this day and every day. God's people said, Amen. Let's continue worship.